All right, well, let's go ahead and get started this evening uh, for our midweek service. Um, <clears throat> let's go ahead and open with a word of prayer, and we'll get into the book of uh, Philippians chapter 3 tonight, uh, continuing off with verse 2, but uh, let's go ahead and pray first. Dear Heavenly Father, thank you again for this time. Thank you again, Lord, that we have an opportunity to meet here, to fellowship, uh, Lord, to encourage one another and edify one another. And Lord, uh, above all, just come around your word and uh, see what you um, have given to us. And that, uh, Lord, just the great blessings of uh, protection and the warnings that uh, are here, uh, Lord, that we definitely need to heed in our life. I pray, Lord, that you would just be with me tonight to strengthen me and just speak through me. I pray you'd be with each one of our hearts tonight to also prepare it, make ready uh, your seed from the word of God to uh, grow in our lives that, Lord, it would be fruitful and we would bring forth abundant fruit uh, to your honor and your praise. Again, Lord, I just thank you for this time, and I pray that it is pleasing and honoring unto you. And this I ask in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen. <clears throat> so uh, back over in Philippians chapter 3, uh, let's pick up with verse 1, just again for that context, where we took uh, last week, it says, Finally, my brethren, rejoice in the Lord. To write the same things to you, to me indeed, is not grievous, but for you, it is safe. And he goes into this uh, this uh, warning here. He says, beware of dogs, beware of evil workers, beware of the concision. Now, we talked a lot about dogs last week. And of course, uh, you know, we, we got into a little bit of detail about how dogs operate. Um, and uh, the connection that's there. So this uh, this evening, I want to look there at the second group, uh, which is uh, the evil workers. Now, again, when we think of the word evil, uh, you know, we often have a tendency to tag that word evil towards sin, and evil can or cannot be sin. It's not always sin. As an example, you go over to the book of uh, Jonah, and it, uh, it makes it very clear that it said that the Lord was going to do evil to the Ninevites. Uh, and it wasn't evil because he was just being mean and vindictive. It was because they were uh, to the point of where they were getting at Sodom and Gomorrah type style, and uh, a warning was given to them, and they heeded that warning. They repented. And uh, God says they repented of the evil he was going to do to them. Now, he wasn't doing anything sin. He was doing everything that was just. But it would have been evil for them because they would have been destroyed. As, it, as Jonah said, yet in 40 days, Nineveh shall be overthrown. So we know that that was an evil thing that would have happened to them. But what we find here is when we're talking about this group of evil workers, we're talking about individuals that have the intent uh, not only to do sinful works, but specifically works that are harmful. Uh, that's basically what we talk about when we're talking about evil. When evil is done to a person, it is done in a harmful manner. Uh, it is intent is to um, hurt an individual in whatever area they can, uh, whether it is a physical, spiritual, financial, uh, emotional, mental, whatever it is, uh, there's a lot of evil that is in this world. Go over to the book of John, John chapter 7. Uh, John chapter 7, Jesus Christ makes it very clear here where he's talking about uh, evil and evil work. And in John chapter 7, verse 7, it says, The world cannot hate you, but me it hateth, because I testify of it that the works thereof are evil. 
So what we want to clearly establish is that when we're talking about evil works, we're talking about worldly things. We're talking about worldly work. We're talking about things of the flesh, things that are meant uh, uh, very specifically uh, uh, that have a, a, if you will, a foundation in hatred. And this is what he's talking about. Those that hate God will conduct themselves in evil work. They, that's how it operates. Uh, that's their their mentality, and, and uh, Christ is making that very clear here. Uh, if you take a look, and again, just to, to, to point this out, uh, evil work doesn't just happen from unbelievers. Uh, go over to the book of Second Timothy. Second Timothy. <clears throat> this is an important thing to understand. Because in 2 Timothy and chapter 4, in verse 14, we find Alexander the coppersmith. Now we find Alexander over in the book of Acts, and, and he seems to be a good upstanding person. Uh, obviously at some point in time he did something that uh, was against Paul, because it says here in verse 14 of 2 Timothy 4, Alexander the coppersmith did me much evil. So something happened. Uh, whether he uh, betrayed him, whether he uh, um, uh, turned him over, whether he uh, uh, did something to um, try to ruin him or whatever it may be, uh, Alexander very clearly was somebody that he was warning Timothy about. He was saying, this guy, he's, he's not good. Whatever he's doing, uh, he is doing something that is an evil work. Something that is evil towards them. And I want you to notice the next part of that verse. God makes it very clear. The Lord reward him according to his works. Of whom be thou aware uh, also, for he doth greatly, uh, for he hath greatly withstood our words. So obviously there's a form of rebellion that's there. Uh, something was told to him and he rejected it. So we see that there was a rebellious, stubborn spirit. And then at the same time, we also see very clearly that God says he's going to take care of it. He's going to handle it. You know, um, again, there's something that that is always reiterated. Whenever anybody does any type of counseling, we have to get to this point of where we understand that when uh, counseling is being given, that uh, we are not the Holy Spirit. A counselor is not the Holy Spirit. If you have the opportunity to counsel somebody in regards of sin, you're not the Holy Spirit. You can't make the change. That's the Holy Spirit's job. Don't do his work. Uh, you know, again, we're talking about robbing God at that point in time. When a person tries to do the work of the Holy Spirit, uh, they are robbing God. That, that is a sin. Uh, to do any type of robbery is, is a sin. So we have to be very, very careful about that. You have to be very careful about how we go about doing those things. Uh, you know, again, when we try to take vengeance, which is not ours, it belongs to the Lord. Again, we are talking about something that uh, is, uh, um, uh, is a sinful act. We're robbing something from God. When we try to take his glory, we're robbing something from God. And again, he says in the Ten Commandments, thou shalt not steal. So he makes it very clear there uh, of that case. And, and, and again, you know, the, obviously that's a violation of commandment number one. But, you know, I kind of digress there when we, when we start talking about this. We see that he's making it very clear that these individuals or this individual is somebody that is a, a person that is intending harm. And he warns Timothy about him. But look at what he says in verse 18 of 2 Timothy 4. I, I just want to point this out. Where he says here in, and says, and the Lord shall deliver me from every evil work and will preserve me 
unto his heavenly kingdom, to whom be glory forever and ever. Amen. So he makes it very clear here that regardless of what evil work is done towards him, the Lord's going to deliver him from it. He has that confidence. He has that confidence. And I say that to, to say this because we're, we're getting ready to move into that subject of trust and confidence and what we trust in. Because again, we're talking about the mindset of Christ here. This is a, the, the principal theme of the book of Philippians is we're talking about how to think like Christ. He already outlined it in chapter two and now he's putting it to some practical use. And in the practical use, he's saying, okay, we gotta be careful of these areas. We gotta be careful what happens because here's what's happened. They're going to prey on certain things, especially when we have our confidence in anything else besides Christ. They will, I mean, it's like a shark smelling blood in the water. They'll instantly gravitate right towards that. And if they find out that you're trusting in something else other than Jesus Christ, uh, and, and you're confident in, in something else, They'll gravitate right towards it, and you will be taken away with their flattering words, and you will be taken away with false deceit, and you will be destroyed. It's just how these things happen, and we see it throughout Scripture. Turn over the book of James, again, to just kind of give an idea of what this stuff is talking about when we come to this concept of an evil work. (coughs) Pardon me. James chapter 3 in verse 16, as I've said before, a really great subject to, to kind of study is go through and take a look at the three sixteens in Scripture. It's kind of an interesting little study, but that's a side note. But look at what he says here, and as he's been talking about the things of wisdom uh, up in verse, uh, 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 verse 15, but in verse 16 he says, For where envying and strife is, there is confusion and every evil work. So when we begin to look at the root of where this evil work comes from, he identifies these two things from envying and strife. Envying and strife. So we've got individuals that are looking at something that they want in a covetous matter. They think that they deserve it, and whether it's actually possession of you or possession of uh, uh, the Lord's glory or putting you down or whatever it may be, and the result is they're envious. Envy is a very evil thing. Scripture, uh, scripture makes it clear that envy is something to be avoided. Now, jealousy, on the other hand, something completely different because God's name is jealous. So we have to make sure that we understand that. Jealousy is not a bad thing. God is a jealous God, meaning what? He wants you to have him as your God only. No one else gets to come into that area. That's a a good thing. So jealousy is not an evil thing unless somebody takes that jealousy and moves it to the form of envy, coveting, and lusting. But what we find here is he's talking about envying in a very evil work mentality. Envying is never spoken of fondly. But then we see the word strife. And and again, we think of strife, we think of contentions. Where it comes from, uh, the Bible says, only by pride cometh contention. The only reason people fight and have strife with one another is because of pride. Is what it boils down to. Somebody somewhere has injected pride into the situation, and the end result is, is there's a contention, there's a fight. Because now you have two wills that are opposite, and the two wills are fighting against each other. 
This is why, uh, you know, uh, fights can easily be taken care of if the parties agree to say, well, before we start getting too much further into this fight, let's see what the will of God is. Well, what's the will of God? Well, the will of God, first and foremost, is don't fight. <laughs> first and foremost, he's like, you need to put away those strife. That, that, that has to be gone from you. It's not to be named among us. So what do we do? We, we put that away and then we actively seek the will of God in each of our lives and then collectively together. And then we find exactly what the Lord wants us to do and we can live in harmony and unison and peace. That's the idea and the concept. But again, the only reason it happens is pride. So, you know, somebody will always ask, I, I've had this asked multiple times of me when people start talking about uh, salvation and they'll say, well, if, if God is real uh, and God is, is truly God, and then why is there war? As if God's going to come down and stop them immediately. And I said, well, the reason that there's war is because of pride. You, you mention that and then all of a sudden everything starts changing very quickly. They don't want to hear that because now, now it's on them. Right. Now it's on them. Well, why did World War II happen? Pride. Pride. Really? I mean, seriously. An Aryan nation rising up thinking that they're better than everyone else? And then an Asian culture rising up thinking that they're better than everyone else? Uh, yeah, that's just smacks of pride. Just smacks of pride. Every war goes back to those things. Every war goes back to that. I mean, it, it, it's kind of ridiculous. I mean, it, <laughs> I to, to this day, I don't even know if this is true or not. I just remember somebody telling me this when we first moved to this area. Uh, somebody said something about Battleground, Washington. And I was like, oh, oh boy, what happened at Battleground, Washington? I mean, that sounds cool. Battleground, right? And they said, well, there was going to be this fight between the Native Americans and the U.S. Army. Well, what happened? Well, apparently both sides decided to go get drunk and they just had a big party instead. <laughs> I don't know if that's true or not, <laughs> but I'm just sitting there thinking about this going, well, obviously that wasn't, it was a battleground that didn't happen. I mean, I, I'm just like, wow, okay, well, you know, if that, if that's real, I, again, I don't know if that is or isn't, but I mean, again, regardless of what happens, one side comes up against another side and whether it's they want their land or whether they want their goods or their resources or whether they want the people or they just hate each other, whatever it is, that's an evil work. It's something that is harmful. So this is why Paul is warning the Philippians. He's saying, look, you got to be careful of these things. You see stuff like envying and strife in your life? you got to make sure. I mean, he then just talks about in, in James chapter 4 over there, uh, where, where James talks about why there's wars, and he says it's because of lust. Because of lust. One person wants something, and they're asking amiss. And the idea and the concept is, is that they are going to go and, and they're going to get it one way, shape, or form. And they, whether it's a war of words, whether it's a war with physical weapons, uh, whether it's a, a war waged in any which way, it's still something that God considered an evil work. Something Now again, understanding how wars work in this Old Testament scripture, how wars work today, things of that nature, there was very much things that happened. But again, you go back over there to where the Israelites were, go, were told to go into the land of Canaan and purge out certain people. Well, why were they purging out certain people? Because they were filled with pride. Just like, just like Sodom and Gomorrah. 
Let's think about this for a second. Sodom and Gomorrah, what was their sin? Pride and idleness. Pride and idleness. Not what we often think it is, but it was pride and idleness. And they were destroyed because of it. So all of those nations that refused to listen, that refused to heed the things of God, they were going to be judged because of that. They brought evil upon themselves because of their rejection of God. They lifted themselves up in pride. So when we begin to think about this, this is why he's warning these Philippians, you got to be careful about this. you got to be careful. we got to be careful of the mindset. we got to make sure that, number one, we don't wind up acting like a dog, and we got to make sure we don't act, wind up being an evil worker as well. We're supposed to have good works, not evil works. But over there in Philippians chapter 3, verse 2, he says, the last one, he says, beware of the concision. Beware of the concision. Now, this concision, he is talking about the Jews, specifically. Now, he, he talked about this with, with a lot of them, with a lot of these letters. Uh, he dealt with it over there in the book of uh, uh, Galatians. He dealt with it in uh, the book of Romans, as well as here he's now dealing with it uh, with the Gentiles at Philippi. Uh, he dealt with it with Titus, and we'll see that, uh, so that reference, <coughs> excuse me, my allergies are killing me today. Um, uh, we see, we're going to see that reference in just a little bit, but the idea is, is that these individuals were coming with a form of legalism and putting people into bondage. They were putting people into bondage. Now, now we, we kind of have to define what legalism is. Legalism is an action or something that is intended to bring, uh, I should say, a fleshly action that is intending to bring spiritual holiness. But it doesn't. It doesn't. Example, what people wear. Uh, somebody, somebody will eventually say, well, you know, if you're not wearing a suit and tie to church, then, you know, you don't really love God. Really? When did that happen? I don't see that in the book anywhere. If we're going to start talking about uh, um, uh, what we should wear, then let's go back to wearing skirts, loincloths, and things with borders on it, you know, blue borders on it. I think that would be really appropriate. Let's go Let's go ahead and dust those off out of our closets. No, I don't know about you, but I'm not running around in that. <laughs> it's just not happening. Just, uh, you know, we're just not going to do that. Now, when's the last time you went to church in your robes? I mean, it talks about robes. You know, people are like, well, in a different call. I get it. I get it. But, you know, God's word is timeless. So we need to understand that. But but there's no specific things other than modesty. That's how he leaves it. Modesty. What are you bringing attention to? That's it. Are you bringing attention to Jesus Christ or are you bringing attention to yourself? I'll leave that to everyone's own imagination, what they think on that one. But... God's making it pretty clear here that these guys are dangerous. He says, beware of them, the concision. Now notice he didn't call them the circumcision, as he's called them many other times in different places. He called them the concision. And there's a big difference. The word concision just simply means cut off. And that's exactly how they were spiritually. They had cut themselves off from God. They'd cut themselves off from a relationship with Christ. They'd cut themselves off 
from anything having to do with the Lord. They had cut themselves off to isolate themselves, to elevate themselves. They were in a form of where they just wanted to elevate their flesh. This was their, this was the idea. This was the mindset. And these are these individuals that adhered to circumcision, adhered to the things of the law. And they were adhering to that circumcision as a form of the covenant, as a sign of the covenant. But it was no longer a sign of the covenant. It was, it was done away with. And you know what it was? It was just merely a fleshly show. It was merely a fleshly show. Let's go over to the book of Acts. Let's see a couple of things here. Acts chapter 7. We begin to see what, what, what God says about it. <clears throat> and and he, he makes it very clear that the mentality behind it is what matters. Okay? It's the mentality behind it that matters. In um, Acts chapter 7, <clears throat> and uh, here's uh, uh, Stephen's uh, great... Uh, uh, address to the nation of Israel, um, and he says here in verse 8, and he gave him, this is God giving Abraham, the covenant of circumcision. And so did Abraham begat Isaac and circumcised him the eighth day, and Isaac begat Jacob, and Jacob begat the twelve patriarchs. And he moves into that dispensation of patriarchs, talking about what that was all about. Now very clearly what we see here is he's saying that that was a covenant, that was a very, that was a sign of that covenant with them, with the nation of Israel. Not with the Gentiles, but he still intended to bring salvation to the Gentiles. But it wasn't going to be in the form of cutting of the flesh. It was something very different. It was in the form of Jesus Christ, obviously. Turn over to the book of Romans, Romans chapter 2. We've gone through Romans uh, fairly recently, so we're not going to go through the whole thing because there's a lot that Romans deals with this. Because, again, the Romans were sitting there kind of, if you will, thinking a little bit like they were taking place of the nation of Israel. And he's like, no, you're not. No, you're not. God's still got a plan for them. God's still going to use them. God's still going to take care of them. Uh, you're Gentiles. You're different. You're different. You're peculiar, just like they were peculiar. But in Romans chapter uh, 2 and in verse, uh, oh, let's go down to verse 25. Um, it says, From circumcision verily profiteth if thou keep the law. But if thou be a breaker of the law, the circumcision is made uncircumcision. He says, the circumcision will be of profit to you if you keep the whole law. If you keep the whole law. The other day I was talking about, again, if you want to remember the Ten Commandments, see Bob. <laughs> He's got a great way to, to go through and memorize it. Uh, it, it it's fantastic. Um, you know, I can't look at my fingers the same way anymore, Bob. I'm sorry. <laughs> but uh, But how many of us could quote them in order the way we need to remember them? Like, well, maybe if you give me, uh, you know, a good, you know, solid half hour, I could probably get there without checking your Bible. And God wants it kind of, if you will, in an immediate response, because sometimes you don't have a half hour to decide whether you're going to sin or not. That temptation's right there in front of you. What are you going to do? So what do we find here? We find that, that if we don't even, I mean, and most people can't name the Ten Commandments. Most people can't. Most people have a hard time with it, struggling. 
And I guarantee you, that's only the first ten. Let's go back over and find out what else he talked about over in the book of Deuteronomy that he also added to that. Also, the things that are found in Leviticus and Exodus. And have we kept any of those? If we've, again, because remember, if we have violated, <coughs> excuse me, if we've offended one point of the law, we are guilty of it all. That's what God says. So we have to keep that in mind. And he's saying, look, it doesn't really profit. I mean, go down a little bit further in this chapter, verse 28. Uh, um, and he says, for he is not a Jew, which is one outwardly, neither is that circumcision, which is outward in the flesh. He's saying it's just a fleshly act. You know what God cares about? God cares about what's going on inside your heart. Because what goes on inside your heart will affect your flesh. If you try to go the, 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 the backwards route and you try to change your flesh without changing your heart, you will fail every single time. You might make it through a little while, but you're not going to get there. Why is it that most New Year's resolutions are gone by February? No heart. No heart for change. But there is a real way you can go about change. But just remember this. Change is not easy. Just take an example of how God talks about change. He asks, can the Ethiopian change his skin and the leopard change his spots? This is how he refers to change in our life. And we would say, well, that's impossible. But it's not. It just takes a little, it's just a little difficult and painful. So the idea is don't get involved in a sinful behavior beforehand that you need to change. Because it's going to be harder to change it. So you just keep it righteous from the beginning. But again, he's talking about this as just an outward thing. Jump down there to uh, chapter 3. Chapter 3 of the book of Romans. In verse 1, he says, What advantage then hath a Jew, or what profit is there of circumcision? I mean, he, again, he, he he's talking about where, where, where's the profit. Kind of like Solomon is saying. Over in the book of Ecclesiastes, where's the prophet? Where's the prophet? Where's the prophet? And he, says, he asks him, he says, where's the prophet? And he, he goes through and he summarizes and he says, basically, there is none. The work of, the, of Christ on the cross was accomplished. We're no longer bound by it. Now, again, the law as a schoolmaster, it teaches us certain things. It teaches us what's, what God's standards are, what God expects. But he doesn't expect sacrifices of turtle doves anymore. That sacrifice was made on the cross. But what he expects us to do is good works to, if you will, testify of the work of Christ. But what we find here in chapter 4, chapter 4 and verse 11, he says, He received the sign of circumcision, the seal of the righteousness of the faith, which he had, yet being uncircumcised, that he might be the father of all them that believe, Though they be not circumcised, that righteousness might be imputed unto them also. And he starts talking about, okay, so this is where it started. It started with Abraham. And, and, and if you really want to aggravate somebody that is of a Hebrew or Jewish descent, remind them where Abraham came from. Abraham just didn't materialize out of nowhere and become a Jew. He was from Ur of Chaldees. You know where that's at? That's over in Babylon. 
That's kind of over there in, in modern day Iraq and Iran and in Syria, parts of that area. Stretched all the way up there into Turkey, um, things of that nature. So Abraham was what? He was a Gentile before he was a Jew. <laughs> yeah, that, just, just a word of advice. If you want to get hit, go ahead and mention it. If you, you know, if you don't want to, avoid it. But, but take a look over at 1 Corinthians, 1 Corinthians chapter 7. 1 Corinthians chapter 7, and again, this is all pointing that it was a sign. This was all pointing that it was a covenant with the nation of Israel, not for us, not for the Philippians. The Philippians were not Jews. They were not Jews. They were Gentiles. Uh, Lydia, the Philippian jailer, uh, the woman that was uh, possessed of the devil, that was crying out, they were not Jews. So we go over to uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 7, take a look at verse 19. He says, circumcision is nothing, and uncircumcision is nothing, but the keeping of the commandments of God. He's like, this is where it's coming down to. We're talking about keeping those commandments that were in the Old Testament, and again, we, we see it creeping into the church at Corinth as well. The church at Corinth was actually mixed group. Not only was it Jews, or excuse me, not only was it Gentiles, but there was also Jews that were there, because we find tongues being spoken there. But again, he makes it very clear what the whole purpose of the tongues were. Again, it's not some language that was made up, that's some heavenly language. It was an unknown tongue, meaning it was an unknown language. They did not speak it. So they didn't speak French. They didn't speak German. They didn't speak Arabic. They didn't speak Syriac. They didn't speak um, Aramaic. They didn't speak Kony Greek. Some of them spoke maybe ancient Hebrew, whatever it may be, maybe Latin. Who knows? But they didn't. They weren't all speaking. Those were real languages. That's what those tongues originated. You got to go back to where he starts talking about them, the first mention of tongues, and you find those over there, and it's talking about languages. So as we kind of continue on here a little bit further, let's go over to the book of Galatians. This is all again to prove this point that, uh, that circumcision, if we're going to start going around, uh, um, boasting of ourselves as the, the concision was doing, then we're going to run into some problems. Galatians chapter two. Galatians chapter two and in verse three. So if, so let's back up here to verse one here, just a second. It says, then 14 years after I went up again to Jerusalem with Barnabas and took Titus with me also. Now Titus was not Timothy. Timothy was Jew and Greek. Titus, straight Greek. He was Gentile through and through. Now look at this. And I went by revelation and communicated unto them that the gospel which I preached among the Gentiles, but privately to them which were of reputation, lest by any means I should run or had run in vain. But neither Titus, who was with me, being a Greek, was compelled to be circumcised. And because of the false brethren uh, unawares brought in, who came into privily to spy out our liberty, which we have in Christ Jesus, that they might bring us into bondage, to whom we gave uh, place by subjection. No, not for an hour, that the truth of the gospel might continue with you. Well, what is he saying right there? He's saying when the, the, the subject was brought up, Titus said, no, thanks. I'll pass. And Paul's like, okay. He's totally fine with it. 
So, so if it was necessary for today for any type of righteousness or salvation, wouldn't he have compelled Titus to do that? But he didn't. However, these, as he talks about these false brethren, when they came in that were of the circumcision, were like, no, 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 he's got to go do that. And what does it say? He didn't give them one hour of listening to their stuff. He didn't even, I mean, he just, he didn't even be in subjection to them. He's like, no, I'm just not. We're just not going to have that conversation. Why? Because it's going to hinder the gospel in Galatia. Because they're not going to understand it. Why? Because it's a sign for the Jew, not for the Gentile. The Jews seek after signs. And keep this in mind, God also said a heathen nation seeks after a sign. That's what he was thinking of the nation of Israel at the time. I want you to keep that in mind because we'll eventually get to that. Uh, maybe not this week, but next week. I know it's, you have to remember it for a while, so just keep it there. But over, go over to Galatians chapter 5. In Galatians chapter 5, we find a little bit more uh, exposition on this. <clears throat> Where he says, for in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision availeth anything nor uncircumcision, but faith which worketh by love. You know what God's more, what cares more about? He doesn't care about the cutting of flesh. He cares about faith. He cares about, are you going to demonstrate that you believe him at his word? That's what he's asking for. So to him, it doesn't make a difference. So if it doesn't make a difference to Paul, and now he's saying it doesn't make a difference to Christ, then why in the world would they be coming in and trying to do this? As he said back over there in the in, the, in chapter 2, it was bondage. It was bondage. You know what people want to do? This is a natural thing. People want to have dominion over someone else. That's how it works. They want to have authority and subjection over people. And people then turn around and say, well, I don't want to be in authority and I don't want to be in subjection. And guess what you have? Two sides of the same pride coin. Two sides of the same pride coin. doesn't matter. It's all pride. And what does it bring? Contention, strife, and envy. And evil work. This is exactly what the nation of Israel was doing. Why does he say, be subject unto those that are the higher powers? Now again, you know, we're not talking about being subject unto, unto sin. That's, that, that, that's very clear from scripture. We're not to go against anything that the Lord says. But if they ask to do something that is not sin, then we comply. We obey. And this is what God's expectation of this is. We, we talked about it when we were over there in First Peter. But here, as we go through this a little bit further, uh, we, we find that uh, over in chapter 6, and take a look down there at uh, uh, verse uh, 15, chapter 6 and verse 15 of the book of Galatians, he said, And as many as walk according to this rule, oh, whoops, sorry, that's verse 16. For in Christ neither circumcision availeth any thing nor uncircumcision, but a new creature. So now he's repeated that same phrase twice. 
So just as a, just as a, a, a you know, when you look here at, at this verse in verse 15, and then also back over there in verse 6 of chapter 5, guess what we find? That thing is repeated twice. It availeth nothing. So you know what? God has said it twice. That means that we should definitely pay attention to it. You know, sometimes you find some really obscure things that people will go through and they will try to make doctrines off of some obscure verse that may have some weird, try, you know, try to associate some weird meaning for it. But again, you have to take a look at context. You have to take a look at the context of the book. You have to take a look at the context, uh, uh, of, you know, which, which book of the Bible it is, which chapter it is, who it's being written to, who's actually writing it, uh, where the other verses are around it in the chapter. What's the theme? What's going on? What's the principle that's being taught? And does it match up with other scriptures? Because again, one pastor told uh, from pulpit one time, uh, Pastor Blue, he said, you can take any verse out of the Bible and you can make it say anything you want and create any false doctrine. You can create some pretty crazy ones too. I mean, what what if all of a sudden, uh, you know, our life's verse was Judas went and hanged himself. (laughs) (laughs) Got to be careful with that, right? So it's a con, it's a contextual issue. All things literary in scripture are contextual in nature. You take it out of context and you can say anything. You can say anything. As an example, say the word fire. No con, there we go. Thank you. Thank you, Mike. <laughs> now that could mean several things, couldn't it? That could mean everybody hit the deck real quick. <laughs> uh, it could mean that there's a fire that he sees that it's like somebody needs to take care of it. Call the fire department, put it out. Could mean open, open a volley of firearms. It could mean that he wants to start a fire and he's just using, you know, the grunting caveman fire. <laughs> it could be anything. <laughs> I mean, it could be, I mean, without context, we have no idea, right? We have no idea. This is why it's important to study scripture. So when we start talking about circumcision, somebody can come along and say, well, look, God said to be circumcised over in the Old Testament. But now he's, now when you go over here and you say, well, he's not saying it. So what's, what's the deal? It was a sign for the nation of Israel and the covenant that he had with Abraham. It's not for us. You know what our covenant is? Our covenant was on the cross, the shed blood of Jesus Christ for that New Testament. And as he calls here, he says the new creature. That's what's important. You can sit there and cut flesh all day long, but it avails nothing. The new creature, which needs to be fed, which needs to grow, which is in Jesus Christ, as he says over there, behold, all things have become new. We're a new creature in him. Because when we trust Christ as our Savior, we are not part of that old man anymore. We're not part of the old lifestyle. We're not part of sin. We're no longer bound to death. We're no longer condemning ourselves to hell. So we, we get salvation. And what is this, what is the symbol of that covenant? His shed blood. His shed blood and the power of his resurrection. And that solves it. That's the covenant. There, there it is. There's nothing else 
to, to, to use for that. We don't need a sign. We don't need an Ark of the Covenant or an Ark of the Testimony. Why? Because we are, we, we are supposed to be living that testimony, telling people about Jesus Christ, reconciling them to God, telling them how they, they can have the peace that passeth all understanding, joy unspeakable because of the forgiveness of sins and the promise of eternal life, the hope of eternal life that he has given to us. So, And as he says, as many have believed him, that have called upon his name, he calls them sons of God. All of those things there, those testimonies, that's what we're supposed to be living in this life, not some sort of fleshly action. Hey, he continues to go on. There's a couple more passages just to, to again, solidify this in our mind. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3 is is an interesting thing, and I'm just going to back up here a little bit to verse 5. It says, Mortify therefore your members which are upon the earth. He's talking about your your flesh. He says, Fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, and covetousness, which is idolatry. He's saying this this stuff shouldn't be in us. This stuff shouldn't be in our hearts. He says, For which things uh, sake uh, the wrath of God cometh on the children of disobedience. Children of disobedience are those that are refusing to obey God, obey the gospel of Christ, if you will. It says, in the which ye also walked some time when ye lived in them, saying you were one of them. At one point in time, this was you. You were a child of disobedience. He says, but now ye also put off all these, anger, wrath, malice, blasphemy, filthy communication out of your mouth. Lie not one to another, seeing that ye have put off the old man with his deeds. And have put on the new man, which is renewed in the knowledge after the image of him that created him. So how do you grow in Christ? You learn more about Jesus Christ. It's that simple. How do you learn more about Jesus Christ? You get into the word. Just start learning. Just start going through studying. Start, uh, you know, finding everything that you can find out about who God is. Because Jesus Christ is God. But take a look at, he's talking about in this new man, he says, look at this. He says, where there is neither Greek nor Jew, circumcision nor uncircumcision, barbarian, Scythian, bond nor free, but Christ is all and in all. It makes no difference what your ethnicity is. It makes no difference what your background is. It makes no difference your education. None of that matters. You know what matters? Are you a child of God? Period. End of story. You can accomplish the greatest things that you want to accomplish here in this life, but if you are unsaved, it is absolutely worth nothing, according to Ecclesiastes. There's no profit. There's no profit. Let's go back over there to Philippians. And in Philippians uh, um, uh, chapter 3, he he makes it pretty clear. He, He talks about beware. Beware. Now he he warned uh, the 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 Ephesians uh, over there in uh, the book of Acts when he left Ephesus. He warned that they were going to come in. He said they warned that they were going to come from the outside and the inside, and and very clearly here, um, you know, as we talked about walking circumspectly, not as fools, redeeming the time because uh, um, uh, the the days are evil. Uh, w- we have to understand this concept. Beware. 
means that we need to be aware of what is going on around us. You ever see a person that is absolutely not paying attention? We see a lot of them today. We see zombies. Right? How many have you uh, of us would be willing to admit that we've tripped, fallen, or walked into a wall, or hit you know somebody or something because we were looking at this? How many of us have almost been hit because somebody was looking at this? And I'm not talking about with cars. I'm talking about with people. Again, you know, there, there was a woman. She sued because she was all upset because somebody posted online, a, you know, security footage of a mall. And she's sitting there looking at her phone. She's doing whatever. And she walks right into that little, you know, coin wishing pool or whatever and just, you know, face plants right into the thing. And she's all upset and stuff like that. But people are like, well, you know, if you had actually been paying attention, then you wouldn't have, that wouldn't have happened. But we think about this and, 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 you know, people don't pay attention. They don't walk circumspectly. They're not aware. I mean, how many of us could honestly say that we could recognize false doctrine if it crept in? If somebody came up and started teaching something that was false, what would we do? How would we know? You're like, well, I don't have time to be a theologian. You don't have to be a theologian. Right. You know what? You you just go through, you you read the Word of God, and if it doesn't match up with Scripture, try the spirits. If it's a spirit of Antichrist, then then no. But today, yeah, uh, man, the serpent is subtle, very subtle. He can transform his ministers into ministers of righteousness. He himself can transform into a minister of light. He can deceive the very elect, is what he says. We're no match for him. But Jesus Christ is. And Jesus Christ is the word of God. So what do we do to battle that on a daily basis? According to Ephesians chapter 6, we put on the whole armor of God. And where is the whole armor of God found? Right here. Every last bit of it is right here, including the morale part, the attitude, which is being in prayer. Everyone always forgets that part. They go through and they talk about the helmet of salvation, breastplate of righteousness, you know, loins girt about with truth, feet shod with gospel, preparation of peace, sword of the spirit and shield of faith. They talk about those, but they don't talk about the prayer that he talks about afterwards. Because I will tell you this, if prayer is not involved, you are not going to be aware. You're not going to be aware. It's a necessary function of Christian life especially when we're combating things that we need to be aware of. And he's telling that to them some several thousand years ago. I mean, we're talking about in the first century A.D., the very first. They hadn't even broke triple digits yet. I want you to think about that. And here we are in 2022. We're wrapping up the first quarter of 2022, in case you didn't realize that. (laughs) Now, I want you to think about that for a second. Do we think that maybe 
there's a lot more to be aware of. I'll tell you, the same doctrines that were then are the same doctrines that are now. You can find the same false doctrines in here. The only difference is it's a new model, but it's still the same car. Still comes from the same manufacturer. Still has four wheels. Still has something that moves it. Still has a seat that you can drive in, right? Or if you're a sovereign citizen, travel, whatever you. <laughs> but you, you see what I'm saying is it's still the same thing. The more we know this book, the more we're going to be aware. The more we're going to have this. This is all, I mean, again, he lumps this all together because they're dangerous. They're dangerous. And any attempt to bring anybody back into bondage is a very dangerous thing. It's a very dangerous thing. But as we go back over there, I want us to move into chapter 3 here. And in chapter uh, chapter 3 to to verse 3, he says, For we are the circumcision. Now notice he called them the concision, not the circumcision, because now he's calling us the circumcision. Not because we have a cutting of the flesh, but we have an operation that was performed without hands, which is what he's referring to. And we'll get into that a little bit more. But he says, for we are the circumcision which worship God in the spirit. Now, I want you to notice that, that those three words, the last three words that I said, are critical. They're critical. He says, which worship God in the spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence. Now look at these next three words, in the flesh. This is the dynamic This is the dynamic when it comes to the mind of Christ. Is it in the spirit or is it in the flesh? Now, Jesus Christ was in the spirit. Now, what I mean by that is what he did was motivated spiritually, not motivated fleshly. There's a difference. You go to the book of Galatians, Galatians chapter 5, talks about the fruit of the spirit, and then it talks about the works of the flesh. Two separate things. We just talked about, you know, evil works, being of the flesh, being of the world, things of that nature, trying to bring people back into bondage of the flesh, bondage of the law, and and, and again, in a, in, in a fleshly show. Pharisaicalism. Pharisaicalism. But here he says, he says, and have no confidence in the flesh. Now, now again, this is, this is something interesting. We're not going to get through all of this, but I want to read this part. He says, for though I might have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he, uh, think he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Now Paul's kind of speaking as a fool here. He says, okay. So you want to boast about how good you are? Okay. Let's, let's go ahead and do that. Let's, let's boast. Let's boast. You want to compare flesh? Let's compare flesh. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel. Well, I'm not. Of the tribe of Benjamin. I'm not. A Hebrew of the Hebrews. Nope. I mean, I mean, he, we're talking about he's, he's the best of the best of the best. As touching the, the law, a Pharisee. Now, again, when we think about that for a second, he knew the law backwards, forwards, sideways, upside down, right side up. He knew it. And what does he say concerning zeal? You want to talk about having good zeal? Well, persecuting the church. I mean, he went after every malefactor that was, he thought, was against, uh, against, uh, uh, um, Israel, against the, the God of Jacob, touching the, uh, the righteousness which is in the law, 
blameless. So, so I want you to understand something. He just said right there, you want to compare how good you are? I'll beat you every single time. I'll beat you every single time. But here's what he said. But what things were gained to me, I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of, G- of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but dung, that I may win Christ. Amen. Excrement. <laughs> I mean, I don't think we need to get into too much detail on that. I think we all know what dung is. But here he's saying, he says, everything that he just boasted about goes out with a draught <laughs> when you flush. He says that's exactly all it is when he, when he compares it to what Jesus Christ has done. And who he is. So this is why it comes down to this mind of Christ versus the mind of the flesh. So right here in Philippians 3, we're getting down to the nitty gritty where we're talking about the comparison of we want to compare how we think spiritually versus how we think physically. Because you know what's going to happen? The, the, the concision, the evil workers and the dogs want you to think physically. They're going to harm you physically. They're going to try to bring you into bondage physically. They're going to try to get you into sin physically. Why? Because again, then you are no longer thinking in the mind of Christ. You are thinking in your own will, your own flesh, your own mindset, not the mind of Christ, which is humbleness, obedience, charity. I mean, all of those things that we saw over there in chapter 2. So now what do we find here? He, here he is, he's boasting about it, and this is, the, this is the issue. So the main issue with chapter 3 here is we're talking about the battle between flesh and spirit. And it's an ongoing battle. It's an ongoing battle. And we, com- <coughs> excuse me. we compare it to the old man and the new man. We compare it to the new man, which is found in Jesus Christ. And then we compare it to the old man of the old sinful desires and wants and lusts. And again, we have a choice about which one we're going to do. It's a decision. It's not going to come automatically. As I keep, I keep saying and telling people, there is no magic Jesus pill, okay? There's no little pharmacy that you can go and say, give me, give, give me a shot of Jesus. I need, I, I need a sin vaccine. <laughs> Trust me, if there was a sin vaccine, people would be lining up for it, wouldn't they? Mike held it up in the back. There is one. It's called the Word of God. This will keep you away from sin. Or as the, the, the little cliche goes, or this will keep you, or sin will keep you away from this. So when we begin to realize, this is what Paul's getting at with the, the book of Philippians here. He's saying, look, we got to stop thinking about this. We want to start boasting in the flesh about who's right and who's wrong and, and who's got the better pedigree and who's got the better prestige and who's got the preeminence and, and all of that. And he says, you know what? That's all. Blech. How about thinking about Christ? Where he thought of himself as a servant. He fashioned himself in the form of a man. He humbled himself and he became obedient. Now that's the mind. But what we see here is he's saying, look, you want, you want to talk about all those things? Okay, we can talk about all those things. 
Now, go over to the book of John. I know we've got a few minutes here, but I want you to go to John chapter 3. I want you to see two verses. Uh, we're going to see John chapter 3, and then we're going to go to 2 Corinthians 7, and then we'll, we'll, we'll call it a night. But John chapter 3, here he is talking to Nicodemus. <clears throat> Nicodemus was a Pharisee, okay? Nicodemus was a master, and Jesus Christ had a few words for him. He's like, what, what, here you are, you're, you're a master, and you don't know these things? He had, a, he had a little bit to say to Nicodemus about it. But here in, in uh, chapter 3, verse 5 of the book of John, Jesus answered, Verily, verily, I say unto thee, except a man be born of water and of spirit, he cannot enter the kingdom of God. Now, what is he talking about? He's talking about flesh and spirit. Now, I want you to think about this for a second. He's talking about a human life and the connection with the spirit. And he says in this in this part here, if you're not born of the Spirit, meaning you have not received Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, you cannot enter the kingdom of God. You can't enter His righteousness. You can't enter into His holiness. You can't enter into His glory. You cannot enter into heaven. You cannot enter into eternal life. You're prohibited. Borders closed. No crossing. There's another place you'll go to, but moving on. Verse 6, what does he say? That which is born of the flesh is flesh, and that which is born of the spirit is spirit. And notice he's capitalizing that spirit there. Because it has to be born of the right spirit. Holy spirit. The spirit of God, not some other spirit. And he says, marvel not that I say unto thee, ye must be born again. And he says here, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof, but canst tell where it, where it, whence it cometh, and whither it goeth, so is every one that is born of the Spirit. And he starts asking all these things. He's like, how, how, how can these things be? How can these things be? And he's going back to the fact that God is a Spirit. God is a Spirit. And you know what he, 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 he makes very clearly as he goes through this chapter and even into the next chapter, he starts talking about that, that God is the spirit and everyone has to worship him in spirit. I mean, go over to chapter four. Here he is. He, he just talked about this with Nicodemus. Now he's talking about this with the woman of the well. And, and what does he say here in, uh, verse, uh, to her where she starts arguing theology with him? And in verse 20, she starts arguing about which mountain to, to worship on. Well, what do you, why is she saying that? Because go back over there to the, the rebellion that happened under Rehoboam. And Jeroboam goes, and what does he do? Uh, there's, a, there's a singing family uh, named the Dart family, and they've, they've got this song, uh, something like First Baptist Church of Jeroboam or something like that. It's, a dri- it's got a drive-through church where you can go in and you can place your prayer order and then, you know, get your little sermon ad as you drive through. You don't even actually get, have to get out of your car and stuff like that. And it was just talking about convenience factor, right? This was even before a lot of that actually happened, Okay. <laughs> But the idea is, is that's what he created. He said, it's too hard for you to go to Jerusalem, so he created two calves for them to go worship in two different places. When did he tell them to start worshiping calves? Where did that calf come from? Oh, yeah, over there in the book of Exodus. Brought that thing back. But look at what he says here in, in, in verse 23. But the hour cometh and now is when the one true worshiper or when the true worshiper shall worship the father in spirit and in truth. This is why truth is important. 
It's the only way you can worship God. You cannot make up what you want to believe about God. You can't. There, there, there's actually, you know, a bunch of stuff, and, and, and I, I watch some of these things, and I, 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 I cringe because I, I just kind of want to know what I, what else is out there, and, and, and to, to be careful of. And there's this stuff going out there talking about open theism. I don't know if you've heard about some of this stuff that's out there. Uh, part of it is that that God doesn't know the future. He's not necessarily aware of the present. He, present, he knows a little bit about the past. But he kind of knows how to get to where he's going, so he just wants you to kind of follow him. And I'm like, blasphemy? <laughs> that's heresy. That's heresy of the first degree. I mean, that's that, that's horrible. That's not who God is. You can't. And, and people are preaching that. People are preaching that. God. I'm like, that's no. That's not no. That's not God. That's not who he is. Can't make that up. So it has to be truth. Well, where is truth? Thy word is truth, is what Jesus Christ said. John seventeen seventeen. But look at what he says here. He says, for the Father seeketh such to worship him. This is how he wants to be worshipped. God has an expectation of how to be worshipped. Yeah. It's not about the worshiper, as in the person that gets to go in there and declare how they're going to worship God. It doesn't work that way. God has a way to be worshipped, and he makes it very clear. And it says in verse 24, God is a spirit, and they that worship him must worship him in spirit and in truth. Spirit and in truth. What was left out? Flesh. There's a lot of services that are all about appealing to the flesh and making you feel good. But how about the one that really refreshes your spirit? How about the one that encourages you inside? And maybe maybe it does convict you of a little sin. Maybe it convicts you of a big sin. Maybe it gets you to start thinking Christ-like. And guess what happens? Joy, peace, happiness. Not a five-second feel-good that will leave as soon as you get out the door and run into traffic and the guy sits there waiting to make a left-hand turn for 30 minutes. <laughs> Trust me, I've seen it. <laughs> I've seen it. So what happens? It has to be spiritually oriented. The mindset of Christ is spiritual, not carnal, not fleshly, not worldly. And we'll get into this a little bit more. I just, I just whet your appetite right now. So all I'm doing <laughs> is we're going to see a little bit more about this next week. We'll get into a bit more about it. We'll actually go through the things that, that Paul boasted about, talking about how great they are. And then we're going to look at what Paul said about each one of them and how he systematically said each one of them was sinful. So it's, it's really kind of interesting, but we'll see that, oh Lord willing, next week. But let's go ahead and pray and we'll be dismissed. Dear Heavenly Father, again, I thank you for this time. Thank you again for an opportunity, Lord, to just get into your word tonight and study it. Lord, I pray that we would just start getting this mindset in, in, ingrained into us. And Lord, we, there's a, there's a constant fleshly battle. And Lord, may we have that victory that only comes by you. 
Lord, through your word, through prayer, through edification, through encouragement, through fellowship, through conviction, through correction, through instruction and righteousness, whatever it is that your word works in our life, Lord, I pray that that will be our mindset. I pray you just keep us safe uh, throughout the rest of this week, especially with the youth retreat. Continue to work in the hearts and uh, of the the youth and the everybody that's going up there, uh, both from our church and Faith Baptist. And, uh, and uh, Lord, again, we just uh, say uh, um, just a prayer of comfort for um, uh, one of the workers up there um, whose mom's uh, not feeling well and is in the hospital. Lord, I pray you just heal her up uh, and uh, keep her safe. Um, and uh, again, Lord, just give them some comfort during this trying time. And again, Lord, I just thank you for all that you've done for us. I pray, Lord, we would not take any of this for granted, but we would always be content, thankful, and happy in you. And this I ask and pray in your Son's name, Jesus Christ. Amen.